You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Over the summer, we're doing this series that we call Normal Christian Common Practices and Common People. And really this series is about the basics of Christianity, the basic things that Christians practice, uh, like reading scripture. We've talked about Sabbath rest and our need to just literally unplug and stop doing it. And then last week, what did we talk about last week? Anybody remember? Renewal. Yes. We talked about spiritual renewal internally and how through confessing our sins, turning to Jesus, and believing in the cross we actually grow spiritually and find fresh life in our souls to meet the challenges that every one of us faces daily. And today, we're going to be looking at the uh, practice of prayer. As I said, I've never met anyone who's totally satisfied with their prayer life. Everyone wants to pray more. Everyone wants to pray more passionately. Everyone wants to have more time spent in prayer. I've never met anyone that's mastered prayer besides maybe Jesus. And so we all need the encouragement and the reminder to pray to Jesus. And that's exactly what Pastor Juan is going to be preaching on today. Pastor Juan, come on up, please. Let's welcome him again. Uh, Pastor Juan is both a a pastoral colleague, but also a dear friend. Uh, We like to have breakfast together and make fun of each other. We get along real well. And uh, He has been a pastor in the Hollywood area for many years, and he's transitioning into a role with an organization called Heart to Heart, and the goal of Heart to Heart is actually to help churches focus some attention on the elderly, and so we're excited about that transition for him and see how God uses them, him there, him and his wife Stephanie, but I'm going to pray for him and then turn it over to him and let him bring us God's word. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you that it speaks truth, it cuts deep, it encourages, it convicts, it inspires. And so we know that you're going to use it today to reach us. And we pray that you would fill Juan with your spirit as he speaks to us, that you would open our hearts, Lord, that we might see you more clearly, Jesus, and, and be able to be inspired to practice prayer more thoroughly. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Turn me down a little bit. I'm Latino, and I can get a little loud sometimes. Not louder than my wife, though. She's Dominican. She's a lot louder than me. I'm Colombian. So, good morning, church. How are you guys? Man, you guys, you guys are amazing. Um, I love when we're worshiping and the church becomes a choir. That's amazing. Um, it's kind of a selfish thing, but if you're on this side of it, receiving it, it sounds, it's like you're at a concert and there's this massive choir sitting towards you, really towards God, but we just, just sounds beautiful. So thank you guys for, for singing along, right? Worshiping the way we ought to on Sunday morning. Let me just say that I'm, I'm delighted and I'm privileged to be back here with you all singing and preaching this morning. You know, this church, as John was saying, has become kind of like a second home for me 
um, as we've built relationship through the years, a lot of times coming together and making fun of each other. That happens amongst pastors. We were talking in the back earlier, and <laughs> we were saying that the cool thing about like the floating pastor now, because I just left my church plant of seven years in January. The cool thing about that is like now I can go preach at other churches, and then I could just say like whatever's on my heart, and then just leave, and then... <laughs> John just kind of has to deal with it next week. <laughs> what, did, what did that guy mean when he said this, you know? Um, th- here's, this, is, this is an interesting thing. Um, I'm in an interesting point in my life right now because I'm transitioning. So John said that in August, I'll be the executive director at Heart to Heart Outreach. I've been working overseeing Florida Medicaid for the last seven years, and I also oversee Medicaid for North Carolina. So, and I've also been a pastor, so it's been like this bivocational thing, and, and, I'm st- and I love, I always say I love my old people, because that's Medicaid and long-term care, that's mostly what I deal with. But in January, we left our church plant, and now we're at Riverside, where I'm also on the worship team and, and pulpit filling every once in a while. But it's been an interesting time in my life, because as I reflect over the last seven years, there's one thing that I regret. And, and, and I was just telling John before the service, you know, I've been highly self-critical after leaving my church plant. Now, let me just say that Holy City Church in Hollywood is doing great. They're moving along. We're kind of taking a back seat and mentoring the pastor there, Pastor Angel. But one thing that I look back and one thing that I've noticed that being at my new church is I was not praying enough as a pastor. And I can tell you that I have tons of excuses for not praying, <laughs> praying enough. I have four kids. That's one excuse. I won't, I won't bore you with all the excuses. Um, but I will say that I just was not praying enough. And probably if I gave you my, my top excuse, it was because I was a pastor. Right? And that's, that's an interesting thing to say. Wait, wait, so you're saying that you were the pastor so you didn't have enough time to pray? That's exactly what I'm saying. And so there's something to be said about that. So I want to speak into that a little bit, not so much from the pastoral perspective, because I know that everyone in the body has a calling. We don't all have a calling to preach or be pastors up here. I do believe that we all have a calling to, to speak into people's life, whether it be on the street, at your job, in your house. We all have a calling to preach God's word. But that cannot happen unless we are praying. So we're going to read scripture. Um, I'm going to read out of Hebrews chapter 4, which if it's hard to preach out of Hebrews because if, you, if you're a theology junkie, you want to just give, and I only have two hours to preach to you guys, so it's, I just think I have enough time. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I... Um, I I don't have enough or, or tons of time, so I, I have broken it down. So let's go to Scripture, and then we'll pray. Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. This is CSB. I'll read out of the ESB. So, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even dividing of soul and spirits of both joints and marrow and quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and laid upon before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 14 says, having then a high priest, who's Jesus, 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one has been in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, and we may find grace to help us in the time of need. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor John uh, for lending his pulpit over to, uh, for allowing me to speak to uh, the people that you've lent to him for this time. And we just ask, Father, that you would be glorified in everything that is said and done today. And not just here, God, but across the world. As other pastors do exactly what we're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You might know this, but Martin Luther, the reformer, said this about prayer. He says, as is the business of tailors uh, to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. In other words, somebody asked me the other day, you know, how do I get closer to God? And I said, you got to dive into the God culture, right? Just as you dive into any other thing that you're passionate about, you have to dive into the God culture. And the one way to do that is to start praying. And here's the thing. Um, we don't always know where, where to pray, how to pray, what to say when we pray, how often to pray, how long should we pray. And even if we do answer some of those questions successfully, what happens to us is that we get to a point where we start to pray. And then if you're anything like me, you get distracted. Right? So, like, you'll close your eyes, and then a squirrel will run through your mind. And you'll be like, oh, look, a squirrel. Wait, what was I saying? <laughs> God, please, you know? And so we, we just have these tons of distractions. There's, there's lots to be said about the discipline of solitude and silence, about meditation. But today, I want to break down this scripture like this. I want to start with verse 16. Um, so to understand that the common Christian becomes extraordinary through prayer, I think the passage will help us understand uh, some if we break it down with starting with verse 16. So I'm going to start with prayer in verse 16. I'm going to end the message with prayer. And then I'll talk about prayer first. And then I'll give you three uh, main points from this scripture. Um, but first, remember this throughout the message. Prayer without the word of God and the understanding of grace will fail us. Now that's so important to understand. Because if you don't, what you have is you have a lot of meaningless prayer. In other words, I know tons of people that pray. The question that would be asked is, are you praying to? What are you praying about? What is the foundation of your prayer? Right? Tons of people can pray. But if, if you're not praying understanding the word of God and understanding the grace that is given in your life, prayers will fail, right? So the writer of Hebrews here, what he's doing, if you kind of go home today and, and read through some of Hebrews, even chapter 4, what he's doing is he's going back to the Old Testament, uh, chapter 14 of Numbers to be exact, if you really want to kind of get down to the context here. To draw the analogy that the Israelites 
we're standing on the edge of the ultimate promised land, right? So, so think about the Israelites and they're being promised, you know, the promised land. And just as in the same way they were, the writer of Hebrews is saying that you also today are standing on the same promise of the ultimate promised land, which in our case, 2019, is ultimate rest. Right? You know what I mean by that, right? I mean dying. <laughs> right? So in other words, we will fulfill ultimate rest when we are finally on that final day at rest with God. That is a beautiful thing. No more crying. No more pain. No more tears. Um, the Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? So we live on this earth in Christ, but when we die, we gain eternity. Right? So let me, just, let me just give you this three things. I'm going to give you the living word. I'm going to give you grace. And again, I said we're going to end with prayer. So it would be to say that as you draw close to God, do so through grace. You do so through the word of God. And you do so through prayer. So let's start with verse 16. And, and here's where kind of where, where we said we're going to break down this verse. And it really carries these Three elements, and then we'll kind of work our way backwards. Let us there draw for, therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in a time of need. So what the writer there is saying, we draw near to grace and boldness through prayer. So the idea of drawing close to God, what it means is not just surrender. It's not just coming to church. It's not just coming to a place of understanding where you need to surrender. But it's saying that we draw near to God in words, in prayer, right? By reading and meditating on God's word to help us in the time of need. When I read this, I don't know about you, but if you were to say, uh, help us in the time of need, the question would then be, when are you in need? I would say every time. All the time, every second of my life, I'm in need. So what the writer is saying here, if you draw close to God in the time of need, and the answer to that question is all the time, then what does that tell you? You should be, like what Paul says, in prayer without ceasing. Right? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about living a life in prayer without ceasing? I'll give you an example. I had a, I had a professor at Trinity, Dr. Jeffrey DeLeon. <laughs> he, he, he liked to kind of push people, as I do sometimes. But one thing that he did that kind of, like, got under my skin sometimes, I hope he, maybe he'll hear this. But I did ask him. He, he, he would say, like, let's pray. But keep your eyes open. And I'd be like, what's this guy talking about? So finally, one day after class, I said, Dr. Jeffrey, like, what's the deal, man? Like, I'm over here coming to God in prayer, you know. I'm bowing my head. I got my... I got my fingers, you know, my palms together, and you're over here like, keep your eyes open. And you're like staring at me, and it's weird, you know. And he's like, listen, man, I'm just trying to get people to understand that a constant life of prayer means that internally you're in prayer all the time, right? Because sometimes we look at prayer as like this thing where like I have to go into my prayer closet. Some of us don't even have a closet. <laughs> so <laughs> I heard Carrie Job say that once. I got a prayer closet. I'm like, closet? A prayer closet? I got one closet, and my wife takes it up with 80% clothes and 10% me and then 10% something else, you know. I don't want to have a prayer closet. But the idea here is that you're in constant prayer. So let's, let's look at verse 12. Let's start with the first thing. 
Uh, let's take these three things, break down the prayer life of a praying believer. The very first thing that we're going to look at is the living word of God. The living word of God. And here's what the Bible says. The word of God is living, right? It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And let me tell you this. It is quick to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen to this. There is no creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and laid open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's heavy. That's really heavy. And here, here's, here's what you have to understand. The praying believer reads and understands the word of God. What I mean by that is if you look at these two verses, verses 12 through 14, it, it's easy to think that these are instructional verses. In other words, it's, it's defining verses about the living word of God. But the writer of Hebrews here is saying that this is a warning. This is really a warning, right, for the believer. That he or she, us as the church, should hold fast, should take heed, should brace ourselves. Because there is no creature that is not manifest in his sight. So what the Bible is saying is that, listen... If, if, you're, if you're praying, that's one thing. But if you're reading the word of God because it's alive and active, it should pierce you. Should, this should be a warning that as you do these two things, they should match. Because if not, hello, God sees who you are. Right? You remember that Pharisee who was praying as if he was praying in the mirror? He's only praying so that he can hear himself. So that people could, there was empty prayer. Might have known the word of God, but did he understand the word of God? And was it alive in his life? Was it piercing to his soul? I think not. Right? Now, we know that the word here, um, if, if, if you've been going to Bible study at some point, uh, the, the idea of the word logos, logos, right? The living word, Jesus, is usually the reference, right? Jesus is the word. The word is God. The reference as in John. But here the writer is using this same word, logos. To refer to the scripture of God. And what he's saying is that, in other words, the living word of God reveals the true nature of the believer and the true need of the believer because it is alive and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through the invisible parts of you. It pierces through your soul and it pierces through your spirit. So here's what I'm saying. If you're coming to God, and you're kind of hearing the sermon so far, and you're hearing, uh, yeah, pastor, I come to God all the time. I'm in need all the time. I agree with you. I'm crazy. I need God all the time. But if it's not piercing your soul and your spirit at some point, if it's not breaking you, there might be something wrong. Because prayer, if you understand the word of God, should be an ultimate self-reflection, but not just standing in the mirror and looking at yourself. If you go to James chapter 1, it's like saying, looking intently in the mirror but doing anything about it, right? Let me put it to you in, in analogous terms. If you were in the mirror, looking in the mirror, and you had food in your teeth or a booger hanging out of your nose, how many of you would just leave it? There might be one or two of you. <laughs> but we, we, 
probably would not do that. In other words, prayer and understanding through the Word of God should be a self-reflection and call us to action. So it's piercing to the two invisible parts of you, which is the spirit and the soul, and then the other, uh, the, the material part of you, which is the joint and the marrow, it's also going to be cutting through that. See, because here's the thing. A lot of times we can, we can hide the physical sin when we come to church or when we're around people, but inside we're being pierced. And the writer here is saying, listen, it's piercing the inside of you, the soul and the spirit, but it's also piercing the outside of you. In other words, you should not be okay with being fake. You should not be okay with it. You should have a problem with that. And listen, if you're here today and there's parts of your life that are fake, I get it. Right? I'm not perfect. John's not perfect. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> right? But what it's saying is that if you're comfortable in sin, that's a problem. You know, the pastors, we talk to our wives a lot. And I want to say that that's a big thing. Like why our wives carry a big load of our ministry headaches. Because <laughs> we usually dump on them a lot. And, and I, can, I can tell you that there's been times that I go home and I tell my wife, so, babe, I just had a conversation with so-and-so, and they're just comfortable in their sin. This is not good. Because once a person gets comfortable in their sin, that's tough. That's tough. And I want to say this. Again, remember, we're, we're leading up to prayer here. If people are comfortable in their sin, I would ask the question, are you understanding the word of God? Because what I find oftentimes as a pastor is that people who are comfortable in their sin have not read enough of the Word of God to understand that that sin, oh gosh, if you understood what Jesus has done, if you understand like the, 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 the perfection of what Jesus has done, of becoming sin, who knew no sin through this book, man, you would really, really consider what you're doing, right? So the Word of God is alive, and it's active, and what it does is it detects unbelief. It detects unbelief. That's why the Roman soldier said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, what the, Jesus, what the Roman soldier was saying is that there's a part of me that totally wants to surrender and give it to you, but there's a whole other part of me that really struggles in doing that. That was like one of the most honest things that you'll read in the Bible. I mean, I believe help this side of me that doesn't want to, that doesn't understand, that doesn't know how, right? Sometimes the desire is there. We don't, we don't know how to get there, right? It's the same reason uh, why Adam hides from God. When God comes back into the garden, Adam is hiding from his own creator. And, and, and God does this funny thing where he actually entertains him for a second. And he says, Adam, where are you? <laughs> like, like he doesn't know, right? But, but, but almost God is saying, like, I see you differently now because you've sinned. Where are you? 
Where's the creature I made? You look different now. I'm looking for you. Right? And so it's the same reason why we have this internal battle within us. A, dis- a divided soul, if you will. Has anybody ever experienced a divided soul? I can tell you that the psalmist has. One of my favorite psalms, Psalms 43, I'll read it to you because it's only five verses and I have two hours. Is Psalms, Psalms you guys laugh, huh? <laughs> my, dad said, my dad's an old school preacher. He's a pastor in Hollywood too. He said to me the other day, if, if I get invited to preach out of church and they give me a time frame, I ain't going. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, things have kind of changed, you know? <laughs> we, we have like service times now. <laughs> Psalms 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. And listen to this. Why have you rejected me? So he starts the psalm like, vindicate me, O God. I take refuge in you. Why did you leave me? He's, he's battling with God. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression? Why am I depressed? Like, why? If, 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 you're, if you're God and you died on the cross for my sins, why am I going to life and why do I feel depression? And, and especially, why do I feel depression over the things I feel depression for? I shouldn't. This is nonsense. I should be better than this. God, you're, you're, you should be active in my life. And so look at verse 3. Look at the transition. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then... When that happens, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lure, oh God, my God. And then he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. I can't tell you how many times... And I'm a little dyslexic. That's why I was, like, laughing when the phone number was wrong because the, the two, that's something I would do. And I always forget which psalm it is because I go to, like, Psalms 34. And I'm like, no, this is not the right one. So then I go to Psalms 43. I can't tell you how many times I'm looking for this psalm because I get depressed, because I get down, because I get downcast. And I just have to read this and remind myself, God, lead me in your light, in your truth. One thing that, that I have to say about this is that I will go to the altar of God to my exceeding joy. We often seek joy for ourselves. And joy comes from who? From the Lord, right? But how many times do we seek it on our own? How many times do we do things to make us happy? Here's point number two. So you understand that in order to get to a point of prayer, you have to understand the living word of God. Secondly, the believer must know that in his time of need, right, verse 16, there is active grace. Grace is activated in your time of need. And when is your time of need? All the time. You're in need all the time. There's some people who read 
verse 16 and they'll say, okay, that's cool. I'll come to God when I need him. Mm-mm. That's a false, that's, that's what we call an inverted view of the gospel. That's what we call the genie lamp gospel, right? The, the Aladdin gospel, that's not good. You don't come to God when you feel you need, you need him all the time. Because left to your own devices, we're nobody. Verse 14, having then a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we've not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one who has been in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's so much to say about these verses. And again, if I had three hours, I would unpack it better. But since I only have two, I'll say this. Just in the same way that God knows us intimately and understanding his word leaves us exposed before him. So then also in the old time of the Old Testament where the Israelites uh, were left and they were also exposed short in their sin. Because they had these laws that they were trying to abide. And what they saw in the daily living of the law is that they always felt short. And in the same way that we're in need all the time, they were in need all the time. So what they did is they called on the high priest to offer sacrifice on their behalf. We, however, now have a very specific high priest. So here's what I'm saying. In the Old Testament, the high priest would go before people. He would wrap a cord around him. He would go into the Holy of Holies. And in case he messed up while he was in there or he was exposed to his sin, then he would die. So they would pull him out. Because nobody else was allowed to go in there. The high priest had a very specific calling to go in there. And when he went to the Holy of Holies, he offered sacrifice for his people, for the people of Israel. We now have a high priest. But it's not just a high priest. It's the high priest. And so his name is Jesus. Jezi. If you're, I just went to Haiti, so I'm practicing my Creole. Jesus <laughs> in Spanish. He died for you and I that we might have life. He became sin who knew no sin that we might not have sin. And not only that, it's a scripture that says that he has passed. Listen to this. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus has. He has been crucified. He is risen. The veil has been torn. And because he's not just any high priest, because he is the high priest who puts on he understands you. In other words, he, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus has grace over your life because he's lived it. Right? See, in order for me to sympathize with you, I would have to live your same exact circumstance. Right? And, I, and I'm a pastor. Like, you'll come to me. I'll cry with you. I'm a crier sometimes. It kind of catches me off guard. I know I look tough, and, and my physique is very strong. I work out a lot. Um, but <laughs> so you don't got to laugh so hard. Come on. <laughs> but but, but, some, but if, you, if you come to me, I'll, I'll, I'll feel with you. I'll hug you. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll lay there with you in that morning. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't feel exactly what you're feeling because I haven't been through what you've been through. See, there's some of you here that have been through some stuff that, I can't even fathom. And I've been through some stuff that you would not believe if I told you. Right? 
And so that makes each and every one of us in this room unique. But Jesus, he's put on flesh, and he understands you. Not only does he understand you, when the Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, what the Bible is saying is that he literally became your sin. He took it on upon himself. So when the Bible says that he sympathizes with you, it's saying that he sympathizes with you because he literally understands your sin, not from a general sense, but from a specific, unique sense. In other words, he's lived through your sin. And the only difference between you and Jesus is that you've been tempted, you have fallen short, he's been tempted, and he has not sinned. But he's taken on your sin. And so that, guys, if we, can you imagine, like, if we just kind of went through that motion of understanding grace every time we came to prayer? It would, it would change our prayer life. And I could just tell you that there's tons of scripture on prayer. There's so many things that could be said about prayer. But Hebrews 4, man, it just, it pierces the soul, literally. And it helps us understand grace. He took sin, he's been tempted for your sin, yet he stayed and stays without sin today. And so, which brings us really to our last point. Finally, we stand convicted, we stand exposed and pierced by God's living word, and we receive it with grace. Listen, the everyday believer comes to his knees and prays, and when he does that, he and she will find the God who listens. So not only do we have uh, the living word of God, we have the active grace of God, but folks, this Sunday morning, I got to tell you that we have a God who listens. We have a God who listens to our every single one of our prayers. Do you know that there's times that you don't know what to pray for? You know that there's times that your pain is too deep and you don't know where to start? You know that there's times that you're so overjoyed that you forget to pray? That happens too. That I, I, I have to say I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm the kind of person I'm like, God, I'm coming to you with a very specific prayer request. And there's been times that God grants it and I find myself picking up my phone to call everybody and tell them about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I need to thank God for this. Right? God listens to our prayer. Listen, if you pray understanding that you can draw near to the throne of grace because it is available and that there is mercy there, then you will know that help is available to you in the time of need, and your time of need is always. This is a very, uh, very, very vital, important part to understand about the scripture because I have to tell you that there's times in our prayer life where and, I've, and I'm saying this from experience. God, I can't pray right now. Like, who am I to pray right now? I'm full of sin. I just can't. You are holy. In other words, there, there's, there's, the, there's the person that prays with empty prayers. They don't understand the word of God. They're, they're asking for things that don't even make sense when you, when you read the scripture. Right? When the scripture says that he'll give you need, right? And you're praying for a Lamborghini, but you're still living like, you know, I mean, you're just praying for that one. You're not even praying for shelter. You're just praying for a nice car, right? And then, 
And so you're, you know that there's something missing there. But then there's a person who understands the word of God. And because we understand the word of God and we understand how holy God is, there's times in where we don't feel like capable of coming to God in prayer. Because he is so holy. And we say, God, I can't come to you right now. In other words, there's the extreme of the lie that the enemy will tell us. And I want to tell you that God is always listening, right? We stand in need of grace and mercy in a time of need, but we stand there in confidence. Let me, let me just say as we finish up, God listens to our prayers. But here, here's kind of one of the things I've thought about. Have you ever, you ever used a magnifying glass? Anybody? There's some young people in here like, what is a magnifying glass? <laughs> What is that? What's a magnifying glass? You know what a magnifying glass? Oh, look at you. You have a, you have a mag? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, never mind. I take it back. <laughs> we do still have magnifying glasses. When I was a kid in elementary school, we used to uh, take the magnifying glasses. And you, you know what I'm talking about? We used to try to concentrate the sun into a very specific spot and then we would burn things i'll say for the sake of this sermon <laughs> that we were burning leaves <laughs> okay that's what we were burning we were burning leaves uh for the sake of of this sermon um and, and what it did is it was fun but it, it took a great deal of concentration i mean uh it, it took time to get that magnifying glass to focus a large amount of light into a tiny beam, a powerful little beam of light. It was difficult to get consistency and to get consistent results, especially on cloudy days. And it was almost impossible to do it when it was raining, right? You probably wouldn't. <laughs> if you ever see a kid outside and they're training with a magnifying glass, you might want to go help them out. Okay? Because that's not, that's not good. So here's my point in analogous terms, and then we'll, we'll finish and we'll pray. Prayer is like a magnifying glass. On the sunniest days, we can get some pretty good results without a lot of effort. On cloudy days, it, it takes a little bit more skill and understanding and dexterity to reposition to refocus the magnifying glass, our spirit, right? Uh, when the sun seems to be obscured, our joy. On rainy days, those days when we are uh, feeling defeated, depleted, down. It's very hard to get anything to happen. On that cloudy day, keep the magnifying glass steady and we are okay. But when... A cloud obscures the light. The intensity is automatically lost. And the same is true when it comes to our prayer life. When, when things are going well, we tend to slack or put any effort into praying. When things are so-so, we may give God a shout-out every now and then when it's convenient. Thank you, Lord, for this food, for this filet mignon, <laughs> right? I didn't have it every day this week, but I had it on Saturday. It was good. Um, but when it's storming, oh, well, we just want to break down and shout to the high heavens to be heard. And it's oftentimes in the moments of the storm that we want immediate results. 
as well. And, and, and I want to say that without a focused prayer life, it may seem that in the times of the storm that our prayers fall on deaf ears and no results can be seen. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God is a God who listens. And, and, if, you're, and if you're focusing your prayer life on the results of your prayer, you have to be careful. Because one of the things that Jesus did, if you, if you look at his prayer life, he did something very unique and very important that we often forget to do. And Jesus says, Lord, there's this cup before me. And man, it's heavy. You're asking me to take on the sins of the world. That's, and you know what, God, it's not that I'm scared to do it. It's not that I'm scared to die because I know that I'm your son. And I know that I'm God in the flesh. And I know where I'm going. But to be separated from you. And he says it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then Jesus turns that prayer around and he says, my God, this is the cup. If it could pass me now. But then he says this, not my will, but yours be done. So I wonder if we pray this way, how our prayer life would change. If we meditate on scripture, if we read the scripture and understand that it's not just it's not just in the Old Testament. It's, it's got application for today. In other words, it's living today in our lives. It's leaving us exposed. But that when we are exposed, we're receiving grace through it so that when we would come forth to the throne of grace, we would receive mercy and help in the time of need, which is always that Lord's will be done in our life. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good, and your mercies, they endure forever. God, I can't imagine um, what my life would be like without knowing you through intimate prayer. I thank you, God, even for the last couple months where I've been so delighted and broken before your throne of grace through prayer. Father, I pray for this church, and I pray for John as they continue forward. I pray that this church, above anything that happens, would become a praying church if it's not already. And if it is already, God, allow them to dive further, deeper into that culture, into that lifestyle of just putting it all before you, that your will would be done in this city, on this earth, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.